Hello and welcome to Curated Spaces, the podcast that explores the stories behind spaces reimagining how we stay, work and play. Join me, Molly Cooper, as I sit down with founders, owners and thought leaders to hear about their journey of bringing a space to life. Great spaces shape our lives. They inspire, nurture and connect us. But most importantly, they bring us together to share life's milestones with the people who mean the most to us. So whether you're a traveller, foodie or design seeker, join us as we celebrate the power of spaces and the brilliant people behind them. Cornwall at Coombs Head Farm with over 66 acres of meadows, woodland and oakline streams as well as a guest house, bakery, restaurant and shop. Leaving the land in the best possible state for the generations to follow is the underlying ethos of this incredible space and I'm super excited to hear all about its conservation and regeneration initiatives. I'm so excited to welcome Tom Adams to the podcast who has brought this brilliant space to life. Tom, welcome to Creative Spaces. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. Thank you for a nice intro. Yeah, always help. Butter them up. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm good. Good. Looking forward to kind of talking you through everything. Brilliant. I'm very excited to hear about it. But before we jump into the farm, I'd like to hear a bit about you and your background. I know there's been a bit of a shift in your in your past from London to Coombs Head. I'd love to hear a bit about that. Um, Yeah. So I haven't been in Cornwall all my life, Mm -hmm. Um, but I grew up. Uh, on a farm in Hampshire ah. and that's kind of where life started for me I was I stayed on the family farm until I was like until I finished school mm-hmm. basically and I think I probably would have just stayed on the farm at home if I hadn't um, started cooking but I uh, my mum is a very good cook mm-hmm. and we ate very well when we were younger um, just very simple things Um but cooked well and my mum's a very good grower as well so mm-hmm. we used to pick and eat and we Lovely. were very lucky in that yeah. way and um so yeah when I finished school I I kind of felt I felt like I wanted to to cook mm-hmm. um my brother had just moved to London as well and yeah I just felt like I kind of that was probably the best place mm-hmm. to go and learn yeah. um it seemed to be the path that most um cooks like Mm -hmm. took going to london to try and learn it's like you know there's more restaurants they're busier etc etc and it just felt Mm -hmm. like the place to be and i was lucky that i could crash on a sofa exactly always um yeah because when you're starting to cook in london you definitely don't earn enough to rent anywhere so (laughs) um yeah i just went i went to london um and ended up there for 12 12 or 13 years Mm -hmm. and um yeah, and then before I came, before I came to Cornwall um, is the short story. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I how I started. Amazing. Okay, we'll get into the story about here first. But first, let's like take a look around. We're here in Cornwall. Do you mind just painting a bit of a picture um, of where in the world we are for people listening in? Um, so we're in. Um, we're just outside a small village called Luanek, which is just mm-hmm. outside. Uh, Launceston, which is on the Devon yeah. Devon Cornwall border, so we're um, yeah we're just we're only about five ten minutes off the main road here, but mm-hmm. it kind of feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, most people that have come to Cornwall will kind of think of of the coastline, um, 
the beaches, Padstow, so on mm-hmm. and so forth, the Lizard, Penzance. We are very much the rural guts of Cornwall. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, this area is predominantly uh, agricultural, yeah. like pasture. Um, a lot of the like good beef production in Cornwall comes from Mm. from this area we're, we're sandwiched right in the middle of the two moors Dartmoor okay. and Bodmin mm-hmm. which is yeah agricultural heartland got it yeah I loved it the little road here with like the trees it was amazing yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's wonderful yeah it really is so what made you decide then to swap the big smoke for coming out here it's the middle of nowhere packing in the day job and branching out on your own <laughs> what was behind that decision um I think there was there was probably a few um, factors at play when we were like thinking about leaving London. Um, I think the main ones were we had opened a restaurant in London in um, in central London, and when we were doing that, a, like a pretty vital part of any restaurant is is kind of your supply chain mm-hmm. and. For me, that was probably my most um, the, the thing that I felt was most important to me was mm-hmm. was the, the supplies we were using, um, the way in which things were being farmed, and and I think because I'd grown up in that world, yeah. I was drawn more and more to that side of things. So um, yeah, our, our predominant supplier for all of our meat. In when we were there was from a small butcher um, in Launceston, oh, so yeah. which is five minutes from where we currently are, and that is really the primary reason we're in this location. Because okay. um, yeah, we we are not in a place that is typically um, well that you would typically find many hospitality businesses mm-hmm. in Cornwall. Yeah. Um, yeah, most most places are on the coast. Yeah, and yeah, when we were in London, we met this butcher. One of the first jobs I had in London um, was working at a restaurant and and this supplier showed up um, delivering meat direct from a from their farm in mm-hmm. in Cornwall. And it kind yeah. of blew my mind that they were going to those lengths to supply yeah. people. And and it was something I just hadn't seen before uh, in terms of the quality and the mm. fastidious nature of, of what they did. And a butcher also being a farmer and yeah. a grazier and just having a full like full commitment to the whole process. Um, Because so often if you buy meat in London, it will go through a wholesaler that may have gone through another Mm -hmm. third party. And the actual farmer is quite a long way down the the chain. Mm -hmm. Um, And with with the Warrens, the the butchers, Philip Warren is is the butcher. um, Yeah, it was just such a direct connection Mm -hmm. and it was so dynamic. And it's just something I hadn't seen before. So even on the, like the first time I visited them mm-hmm. when I was quite young in London, and I didn't know a huge amount about beef farming and, and so on and so forth and butchery. I just knew from meeting them that what they did was, was very special. Yeah. And in the grand scheme of things was quite unique. And so they became like just a re- really key part of like learning, um, yeah when I was in London Amazing. and I think because I because I started a restaurant when I was too young really in London um we started the restaurant when I was 22 oh. and it was just like it was too young and I took on a bit much too mm-hmm. soon and I didn't really mean to open a restaurant it kind of just happened yeah. um and when you start like when you start 
a business at that age I, I stopped doing a, so much cooking and became and like started managing yeah. more in the day-to-day -day. and I found that visiting the Warrens became almost like my learning ah, like okay. thing and so I would do four days in the kitchen in London and then I would go and do three days nice. with the butchers mm -hmm. in Cornwall and that would just became like a massive massive yeah. part of my week mm -hmm. I just felt so invigorated going yeah. to Cornwall, learning direct from them, doing butchery, visiting mm -hmm. their animals, talking to yeah. Philip and Ian, his son and Rhea, yeah. his daughter about like how they farm stuff, mm -hmm. why the beef looks like it is, how they handle stuff, what are the aging processes, all the butchery, everything. It just fascinated yeah. me. And um, so that just started like a really strong relationship mm -hmm. down there that, you know, I was visiting them so much as my my week was almost balanced like Cornwall and London mm. um and yeah through that process I think after like five years um it, it became apparent to me that there would be a point at which I would be keen to move yeah. away from the London centric side mm. of the what of my life to yeah. what I was doing in Cornwall and I didn't quite know how that would be manifest and um yeah I just I just started trying to think of like ways in which I mm -hmm. could like make what was happening in Cornwall more of a reality ah. um down here and it also coincided with a five-year rent review in the restaurant <laughs> in London which kind of made things trickier mm -hmm. and at the same time sort of brought home the fact that the nature of the restaurant we were running in London and the tenancy and just the leasehold agreements mm -hmm. and having the landlords. I just knew that the amount of energy we were pumping into the restaurant and they were big weeks, you know, like you're doing yeah. 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. I was like, oh, at the end of the day, you're just going to give it all back to the landlord. Yeah. And where was the like positive output mm. in that in the long run, yeah. where I was working with this family, in Lund in Cornwall of butchers who were entirely dedicated to mm -hmm. longevity yeah. and generational practices and and mm. encouraging farmers and lo the local area to farm yeah. better and to think about the future and grazing things in a more sustainable manner and just everything was a bit more like there was long-term thinking going on and it was yeah. really inspiring and it made me think about the more of the short-term nature of what we were doing in London, mm -hmm. which was a bit more like buy it, sell it. That kind of nature yeah. of a like quick fire restaurant yeah. business mm -hmm. in London with a leasehold. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, just I just felt like if we were gonna um, work this hard, it would be good at the end of the day to try and- See a bit of it. Well, I'd be and potentially have something at the end of the day that you can hand over. Yeah. Like whether that be to staff, like with employee ownership or to like the next generation to yeah. your kids or whatever it was that's like rather than just selling the business and yeah. then living like just pocketing it yeah. it was like what can you and then thinking about the next thing to do mm. I didn't really feel like that inclined to like yeah. do that and in London those are the options available to me mm -hmm. it was like okay we either open more restaurants mm and get the market value of the restaurants up to a point where you can sell it and then have some cash in the yeah. pocket. But then I was like, well, then what do you do? Yeah, exactly. Like do it yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure I've got the energy to like do it twice. to yeah. do that. Yeah. And it just felt like if you were going to invest that much time, 
it might be nice to think about what comes after you're mm -hmm. gone yeah. or whoever's next and yeah. giving someone something to follow through with. And that's just exactly what the butchers were doing down here. It was just like a mind blow. I was like, yeah. these guys are thinking so far ahead in a very traditional manner. Yeah. Like it was just so different to what I was experiencing mm -hmm. in London. And, yeah, and that just led to this, you know, thought process. And it was actually Philip, the the father who, who set up the butchers there, who said, oh, you should look at this farm. Oh, okay. Um, I'm looking at it as a beef farm, but it's got too many odd outbuildings mm. and not enough land for okay. grazing beef. Mm -hmm. But from everything we've talked about, like yeah. I said, oh, maybe we could yeah. do like a guest house and just cook and then eventually like, you know, a small farm offering mm. and a bakery or whatever. And Philip said, oh, you should look at it because it mm -hmm. might suit. And so it was actually Philip that, in that showed me Coombs Head. Amazing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we, I, to be honest, we have a lot to like, it's really like down to that family that we have a lot yeah. to sort of be thankful for. Um, but that that was how that That's kind brilliant. of started. And you're so right. I feel like especially in London, you get caught in the rat race and there's all these stories of overnight success and all of this stuff. And you can get so sucked into that. And then actually I had such a good conversation with Steve at Nankaro, who's just yeah. down the road. And again, this idea of you know, looking after a place for the next generation and just being custodians, this small pocket of time. And there's this like new sort of wave of people going back to that and turning back to the land and looking to invest back into the community. And I think that's such a positive shift. Well, I think like it's how things kind of used to be done. Yeah. Like like mm. often business would be, um, and farming mm -hmm. would be, how do you preserve what you have for the yeah. next generation? Mm -hmm. And in many ways, what we see now with the, the very fast nature of things and yeah. how quickly things are changing. Yeah. Like in the last, even since we've been here and we've been here for eight years, mm. like we see, you see changes in the seasons yeah. big time. Yeah. I mean, like we had two storms in August, we've had another one this week. And, you know, I feel like if things are getting more unpredictable, there's like, you, like it's worth it's worth the effort of slowing things down mm. and, and, you know, cause if you don't, yeah, if we don't look after things, we will like, we'll ultimately pay the price. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of felt like the options I had in London yeah. were like, you either do things fast or you won't survive. Yeah. And you know, I just was like, well, I don't really want to do that. I don't know. I've never been like super driven by, I don't know, like obviously you want to have your kids to like, you want to put food on the table for your kids. Yeah. You want to be able to like look after them and so on. But really um, in London, I felt like I never felt, I didn't really know what I would do if I expanded the business to the point where there was lots of restaurants yeah. and then sell it. I was like, well, I don't, that's not my, that wasn't just the motivating yeah. factor. And I didn't really, I didn't really see what mm -hmm. I would, I just not sure I'd be happy doing that. Yeah. Um, and at least like whilst being down here is certainly, difficult mm -hmm. and, uh, and running like a restaurant in a rural environment and a guest house is not straightforward yeah. um it feels like at least if we were to like fail here it, if it didn't work you feel like you've at least given your best shot Give doing something you believe in mm. rather than 
sort of in a in a scenario that you just don't think there's a win anyway yeah 100%. Um, i don't I know mean, if that makes any sense i know but... it makes so much sense and i like really respect it so yeah kudos for that <laughs> um but let's talk about the the space itself so when you took it over there was the guest house that was phase one and did you mm. always have this like sort of multi-step plan in your head or were you very much like let's get the guest house up and running let's see what happens and let's go from there i i think we actually had in some ways we had both in our heads mm-hmm. Um, but it very quickly dawned on me that the long-term plan was only good and only had any form of like social, like positive social output mm-hmm. or in, or was going to benefit the land in the long run if we stayed in business. Yeah. And so, you know, I wrote business plans that were quite blue sky thinking and a little bit like, okay, you're a complete dreamer. Um, you know, wanted to reinstate like an old water wheel from the old mill pond to power Aww, the like lovely. the mill for the yeah. baby. Yeah, that's the sort of stuff that's just like completely unrealistic. Yeah. When you actually look at the nuts and bolts and the mm-hmm. finances involved. And so when we actually got down here and managed to get the like the farm over the line in terms of like raising the debt to mm-hmm. like actually buy the farm or at least just get a mortgage. Yeah. You know, I knew that we were in a position of like a vulnerability mm-hmm. because you know the odds of, the odds have always been stacked against us in a way. Like we took on a loan to get open that yeah. was a high interest loan, a three year like bridging loan basically. Mm-hmm. So I knew we had three years to make okay. it work financially yeah. in order to refinance onto a long term uh. mortgage. So my like ideas of like dreamy thinking and like water wheels and oh yeah like kind of <laughs> threshing corn in the side it just wasn't going to happen so basically when we very quickly i became it was a reality check of saying okay well i know i've got this going out every mm-hmm. month and i need to pay repay this every month yeah so therefore we just need to work mm-hmm. and so and hence we didn't really have any staff to begin with mm-hmm. and um yeah, we just opened, we opened in the smallest possible way that would allow us just to be like me and my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did have like one other cook came down and helped yeah. from London. Um, and actually, and a lady as well who's helping in London for it. She came down for a few months to help. Mm-hmm. But primarily, we just sort of begged and borrowed and got yeah. family involved and friends and so on. So the initial big thinking was very quickly just like okay let's get open and we need to fill the rooms and we need to cook dinner for the Mm -hmm. people staying yeah and we need to do it in a really like cost effective manner so we moved in on the 1st of april 2016 and and renovated really quickly Mm -hmm. and got open on the 23rd of june wow so it was like 10 or 12 weeks quick yeah it was rapid and it was the only way because we knew that we had to be open for the summer yeah. It's like if you're in Cornwall, especially this part mm. of Cornwall, and you take your time and you get open yeah. for October, or you're, you're completely yeah. screwed. You're, blown, yeah. Uh, yeah. you're gonna have to wait until next mm. April to get busy again. Yeah. And so we knew we had to be open for the summer to get mm. any form of momentum. And um, yeah, and we did, and it was like it was tough. We didn't have any housekeepers, so we'd like you cook breakfast, then you'd go and do the rooms, then you'd get ready for dinner, check people in, do dinner rinse repeat rinse repeat, repeat. repeat and um and i was still contracted in london at the time oh wow so part of the sale in london i was contracted for, to two days a week right. in london so i do monday tuesday london wednesday sunday cornwall so it's like but it was necessary because yeah. that was my only income mm-hmm. 
so yeah the original like ideas of of sort of dreamy countryside yeah. was not quite the case mm -hmm. and um but we were aware of we had three years to basically make it work and that was um that was basically the driving factor so yeah i would say like the long-term plan was definitely in the back of my mind like but it was more a case of you know and i never forget actually what philip said to me he's like mm -hmm. it's all well and good like having like an idealistic thought but you're no good to anyone if you go out of business yeah and i was like okay like i hear you mm -hmm. you know if we can stay here for a long period of time and like, if we're still in business in 15 years time and we become like financially stable and mm -hmm. you know work off the debt then in doing so you will then have the ability and the like stability yeah to then crack on with the big stuff yeah, yeah. potentially yeah. And, and it feels like eight years in you know you we've slowly turned the screw on mm. kind of trying to like get to that point mm -hmm. and it's still probably we're still not there for sure but you know we've we've managed to do some things that mm -hmm. we think uh like we're in the original kind of yeah uh plan but I think we're lucky in a way in that by default, some of the things that you do by just growing mm. food or farming, if you do them in a certain way, you're, you're beginning to have like a, like you can rest easy that you're doing it in a mm. way that is, I don't know, conforms to like yeah. your ideals or your, your ethics. Mm -hmm. um, so we're lucky in a way that we're in a place and have a business model that allows us to farm in a certain way or yeah. grow in a certain way. And, and hopefully influence people in mm -hmm. some way by just by default that they might be eating yeah. organic food or food like done slowly or, yeah. or whatever. But yeah, we're by no means at a point where the original plan has come mm -hmm. to fruition yeah. in a way. And so what came next? It was the bakery, right, that followed after the guest house. Um, yeah, so yeah, in 2016, we opened the guest house and then late 2017 we moved into one of the barns in the courtyard and i'd met a baker in london who came and helped do consultancy mm -hmm. in london uh, with us when we wanted to start baking bread in the restaurant and um a guy called ben glazer who's uh an absolutely brilliant baker um yeah quite remarkable baker and he was running a bakery in Belgium at the time moved back was then running a bakery in East London and he had expressed the desire to be slightly closer to the production of the mm -hmm. the wheat and wanted to mill and uh, so he had been spending time in America at a couple of mills out there um in 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 one, a couple of the southern states New Carolina or I can't remember where else and um yeah, he had expressed a desire to, to be making bread where he had a bit more control over the production yeah. of the wheat and the milling of it. And I just said that we're looking at a place in Cornwall where that might be a possibility if you wanted to be involved. Yeah. And um, he was keen and that the conversation just carried on. And then we finally got down here and we sort of felt like there was a suitable space mm -hmm. for the bakery. And um, yeah, so Ben moved down in 2017 and we knew that if we renovated the space where the bakery was going to be we kind of had to run it 24 7 so yeah. it became the restaurant and a bakery at mm -hmm. the same time Got it. uh just to the point where that um became 
too much for the space and Ben's sort of wholesale business um, started to expand. More restaurants in Cornwall were taking the bread. People seemed sort of happy with it. Um, he, he was becoming more comfortable with the product and yeah, and it just grew, it just grew organically. And, um, so it very quickly, yeah, very quickly he outgrew the, the restaurant come bakery space and we pushed, we expanded a bit of the kitchen to become the bakery and, um, yeah. And that's kind of how that happened. And then, so the restaurant had its own space. The bakery then had its own space. This is like 2019 and, um, yeah, and we just ran it like that for yeah. a couple of years, really. Kind of until COVID, to be honest. Yeah, and how was COVID for you guys? Um, I mean, it was a curious time. Um, yeah. It was definitely a scary time. Mm-hmm. Um, we had sort of just put planning in to try and do a couple more rooms and yeah. to try and... Um, uh, and we had just got a, a grant through, like a rural mm-hmm. development grant for expanding the bakery a bit more. So it kind of just put a pause on a lot of stuff and at a time where we had just committed to to some building works. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was nerve-wracking because I guess like no one knew what would happen. Yeah. Um and yeah, and obviously restaurants and hotels just ground to a halt. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we just we kind of had to recalibrate and because of the like the I guess the size of the farm in a way like there's certain things that you 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 got to keep operational in a certain way because mm-hmm. once you got livestock on the ground and you're farming yeah. you can't really just pause yeah you gotta you gotta keep going and mm-hmm. you, the animals need attention every day yeah. and so <clears throat> we had to keep going so we realized that there was obviously that mad sort of rush for people to source food in that time um we got loads of phone calls saying oh you know are you going to start doing meat boxes or direct boxes you know like a lot of restaurants Mm. were doing at that time so we um yeah we started doing it we had animals ready to go um that were going to be used for the restaurant but Mm -hmm. we didn't have the restaurant so yeah we just started doing like mail order stuff and it was pretty like basic at the beginning we didn't really know what we were doing who did? Like, yeah, we like the first box we packed. I mean, it didn't even have like an ice pack in it. And it was like, it was like a really oh, hot April. Yeah, yeah it saying, was hot. Yeah, it was really yeah. hot. And then we just didn't know what we were doing. And anyway, it took us a few goes to like, yeah. and we were putting in like bottles of elderflower cordial and like you're getting pictures from customers like being like, okay, so the cordial has smashed. The piccalilli has smashed. I've now got a pork chop and soaked in elderflower cordial and my meat's warm. <laughs> And we were like, oh God, this is a different kettle of fish. Um, so I think we kind of refined it over a period of like that year. Yeah. Um, and it actually became like a really progressive thing. And, it, you know, it gained momentum. And mm. it, to be honest, kind of kept us afloat in that yeah. period. We started doing lots of online mm-hmm. and then did a subscription model. Oh. Um, so it was, it was, it was really like, yeah, it was quite remarkable actually. And then... And then when we could reopen, we did. We reopened the rooms and the restaurant. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we kind of we had, we we still had that online stuff going, and we mm-hmm. had expanded the growing and the farming to yeah. facilitate that period. So, yeah, we could, when we reopened from COVID, we felt we were a little bit bigger yeah. in a way because we we had to expand certain areas in COVID that we wouldn't have mm-hmm. expanded that quickly. Yeah, but we kind of had to. So. Yeah, it was it was kind of we went into COVID 
um, with just like a restaurant with rooms. And then we kind of came out of COVID as like a restaurant rooms, online shop, bigger farm, veg, like proper veg production. Model. Yeah. And yeah. it actually, that was like, I found that quite tough in a way, okay. like having yeah. suddenly having way more to look after. Yeah. Um, so that's been like a bit of like, just trying to get your head around that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it was, we probably had it better than most mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah just purely because we've got like outside space and greenery and we had to keep busy by farming. So compared to a lot of like friends who had restaurants and were working in kitchens who had a really rough time and just nothing. Yeah. Stuck in their flat in London or whatever it was like, we were super lucky. So yeah, we had it probably fairly easy compared to most. And it was just such a crazy time, wasn't it? Especially at the beginning. And you were like, is this forever? Is this? Oh yeah. It was like complete hysteria. Wasn't it? Yeah. They were like, the tanks are going into London. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you were making like, yeah, I think during that period, we probably made a lot of business decisions that, that maybe weren't regrettable, but you were kind of like, it was quite impulsive. It was like an impulsive time. Oh yeah. It was short term thinking. Yeah. It was short term thinking. Mm -hmm. And like, you maybe bought equipment just to like do your like, box scheme yeah but then like when you reopened you're like oh crikey, too many like, ice bags. Got, yeah. yeah little thing and you just it, it kind of threw everything out yeah. of whack um so it definitely feels nice to just be a bit slower again and so do you still do the subscription model or have you canned that no we haven't yeah. we, we no we don't do it um yeah I, I think mainly just it was we we saw we saw the online stuff slowing mm. as soon yeah. as like restaurants reopened and people went a bit back to normality mm. In a, some way, I think it's a real shame because yeah. in COVID, one of the few positives was that that real connection that people made with small suppliers yeah. and small producers when the big supermarket cogs stopped churning yeah. and and were found out in in a way like those supply systems don't actually work yeah. in a in times of crisis and mm-hmm. in the long run, you yeah. know, people get burnt with the supply chain that's on that scale and that global yeah i think it showed that small local supply systems you know they're so positive and they can be so amazing and they give people connections to to the farmers and people understand the the value in what they're buying Mm -hmm. because they see the producer and speak to the producer and understand what it actually costs to produce food Whereas people don't get that in supermarkets, it's no. an assumption that a carrot costs 5p yeah. because the supermarket says it costs 5p, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't. Yeah. And it's actually, it's a shame now that it has gone back, Slipped back a bit. so mm. easily in a way to normal when, yeah. when it was, it was so direct in that period and you were getting people you know, asking if they could buy half a pig to put in their deep freezer because they were going to use it through the year or like yeah. people emailing saying, oh, I want to start making bacon at home. You know, yeah. can I buy some bellies off you? And I'm going to invest in like a bigger fridge at home yeah. so I can cook can more. Do that. Yeah. And you're like, you're hearing or getting these emails through and you're like, wow, really? maybe this is like a positive. Yeah. I but, guess people had the time, didn't they? To stop, yeah. Take yeah. Stock and work, you know, when people yeah. go back to work, yeah. you know, and work in the modern day, no it's time. not just like nine to five it's yeah. yeah it's like seven to eight yeah exactly and um yeah so that that's i guess a shame but for that period of time it was yeah definitely there were some positives yeah okay well let's talk about the out the outdoor space then how so you've got 66 acres here yeah and you've got various things you've got the orchard you've got the vegetable patch could you sort of talk us through some of the stuff you've got going on here yeah so 
There's 66 acres, of which um, 50 we run on a farm share scheme. Okay. So there's, uh, which is in the second year of organic conversion. So there's a farmer about 10 minutes from here called Graham Dorr, who's uh, an organic beef farmer and, and, and farm sheep as well. Uh, really brilliant, like amazing guy, incredible sort of generational knowledge on very good traditional organic agriculture. And um, so he, he co-farms the land um, with beef and sheep. We share the output, we buy the product off him um, and help him sell it as well. Okay. So it's like a really nice thing and we learn, like it's a nice system. Yeah. Like we learn a lot from him. We help him sell the product to hopefully better homes yeah. um, in a way. And, um, and he's also been like pretty key in helping like develop the, the valley and look mm -hmm. after it. Um, basically mimicking what he does on his farm, which is just continual planting of trees, yeah. regeneration of hedges. He doesn't really believe in, in fencing. So mm -hmm. he's just constantly laying hedges, um, planting more, um, reestablishing natural Nice. natural corridors with trees and hedgerows and and so on so he's been pretty pivotal in 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 helping us try and mimic that in the mm -hmm. valley um all of his animals are kept outside 365 um in just a very very natural um kind of system and so yeah as part of that he's helped us plant a um orchard in the front field which is which is part of a um, agroforestry project with Cornwall Council cool. called Forest for Cornwall, mm -hmm. which is to encourage um, farmers to um, change their grazing methods a bit, mm -hmm. do more strip grazing, moving cattle quickly through areas of ground, helping the grass regenerate, mm -hmm. um, and using uh, fruit trees and nut trees to create these these avenues so that's what we've done in the front field there's 120 mixed um fruit trees in there nice. planted in in 11 avenues uh which we strip graze the cows in a mix of traditional cornish and devon uh, apple varieties and and mm. tamar valley uh cherry varieties okay. and then yeah another kind of 40 fruit trees planted up in in a couple of other fields um is more of a traditional orchard so like kind of dotted trees rather than linear yeah, yeah. trees um and then and then yeah within that a, a little bit of veg production um so there's like a market garden um up there um and yeah and pigs and chickens um are dotted through areas of woodland mm -hmm. and pasture that's not used for cattle um in quite a kind of low low input Quite a quite a kind of extensive um, system, so they move quite a lot. Um, nice. Don't spend too much time on the ground, mm -hmm. and um, yeah. So it's it's like yeah. there's a bit, there's definitely a bit going on outside in yeah. a nice way, but it's still pretty small. Yeah. Um, yeah, we keep about fifty to sixty pigs at one time. Mm -hmm. um, we do about uh, six seven hundred chickens a year, yeah. and then. Yeah, there's 30, 30 cows and 50 sheep. So it's like in, in broad term, it's pretty small. But it's a proper little farm, isn't it? It's yeah. like a li nice little farm that suits 
what we need for exactly. the restaurant and then a little bit extra to just sell to yeah. to a few butchers amazing and then looking ahead have you got anything anything in the big original manifesto that's happening uh, any water wheels or mm, uh we're i think the next the next kind of couple of years are gonna be pretty heavily focused on um trying to get our our inputs in order mm-hmm. so we're putting in quite a big um like solar project next cool. spring yeah. to try and sort of help i guess in is is twofold it's one to help with our bills mm-hmm. <laughs> you know our, yeah. now that we've got slightly bigger the bakery's bigger mm-hmm. you know our inputs are a bit higher um but at the same time we also want to try and get off grid yeah so yeah we're going to put in solar um trying to put in a heat exchange system for the bakery so that the bakery oven powers the rooms so we're going to try and do that in january so that that so the rooms are heated by the bakery oven um and then beyond that i have to say there is not a huge amount in the pipeline (laughs) i think the main the main thing in the last 12 months or two years is just about getting things to a point where everyone that works here and including myself have just a much better balance mm-hmm. um yeah. which is historically something we've never achieved you know we've always been like work work yeah. work and it has it has like a cost mm-hmm. um and i think now with like more of the people that work here have kids we're all getting older um we're definitely getting to a stage where you can't just do 18 hour days mm. every day yeah and yeah so i think it's about getting the business to a point where it supports everyone in a nice way and that as much as anything is probably our biggest challenge i'd mm-hmm. say yeah and like you know we're, we're into year eight now and like it's one thing i think in the first few years trying to like bring customers to cornwall and trying mm-hmm. to just get bums on seats and yeah. trying to just be busy and then now i think we're in a period of like just refinement to try and make it work for for ourselves and for mm-hmm. everyone that that works here yeah. It's probably the main like long term longevity. Remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it's interesting. Like you think about the long term plans, but you never really like think about yourself yeah. in them or your or your like family and so stuff. True. And you're just like, okay, cool. Like let's get the yeah. business needs to just keep working, keep working. And you're like, well, it's just not going to work if we're all burnt out. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, we need to we need to like put some energy into that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure you'll get there. I hope you do. It's been so fun chatting. But before yeah, we do go, we do have a quick game of Dream Spaces to play. Yeah. I'm going to ask you three prompts. Imagine you've won the lottery, cash that check. Oh, I'm just going to ask you which space deck. comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, In the world? Yeah. No, you, anywhere. Anywhere you want. You don't even have to be. So, wow. first one is where are you getting away to detox, to disconnect? Um. I've got to say, I would go right into, smack into the middle of rural France. Oh, God. It's like my dream. Yeah. Yeah. It's my dream. Yeah. I love, I just, yeah, I love France. Mm, yeah. Too. I'm a just, I'm a sucker for it. So I think <laughs> we would go, I know, we try and go like every few years to just drive down with the family. Nice. Um, yeah. I think I'd just have to go to the Jura Ooh. and just eat a load of oh. Comte. Um, oh, yeah, content. Delicious. A lot of smoked sausage. <laughs> Brilliant. That sounds like my kind of detox. Um, next up, slightly different. Your ultimate birthday party. Where are you hosting it? Oh, crikey. I don't even, I don't think I've had a birthday party in like oh, 15 years. Um, <laughs> ultimate birthday party. 
Maybe I'll just close the farm and just have a massive rave in the courtyard. Lava! <laughs> yes! I don't know. Lava, um, farm rave. Or, you know, a good birthday party. I'd like to have a long, and I haven't done it since I probably worked in London, but a good, long, lazy lunch mm. at like an old school restaurant yeah. that I haven't been to in years. So I don't Love know, I'll go to like Quo Vardis mm. or... Well, I don't know, maybe the seahorse in Dartmouth. Great one. Pretty, yeah. really, pretty great. Maybe just like sit there for the whole yeah. afternoon and just yeah. like have a few Negronis and just like. Delicious. And then yeah, something like that. Eight. Yeah, perfect. perfect. Something <laughs> like that. Okay, and last, your once in a lifetime bucket list trip. Where are you going? Oh, man, that is like a big question. <laughs> I definitely should have prepared that. Um, so I think this, I'm, I, I guess now that I've got like kids, I've had kids for the last four years, pretty much if I go on holiday, it has to be Europe because I just, no way am I sticking them on a flight. No. Um, at least for not any long period of time. I would have to say at the moment, I'd potentially drive from here through France, through Switzerland, a little bit of Austria, and I would end up in Northern Italy. Mm-hmm. I think bucket list would be Northern Italy, a couple of weeks in Umbria and drive up to Tuscany Mm. and um, yeah, just eat eat and drink myself silly. Gorgeous. See the agro-turismo. Yeah, 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 a few of those. Yeah, I think that would be the dream. Oh, well, I do hope you get your your trip to Tuscany (laughs) and beyond. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. It's been such a pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Curated Spaces podcast. For more information and content around any of the spaces we feature, head to our website or Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to have new episodes delivered straight to your inbox every Wednesday. And if there's a special place in your life that you'd like to hear on the Curated Spaces podcast, please do get in touch as we're always on the lookout for more brilliant spaces to share with the world. 